maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Welcome back. We are here. This is for you, Stuart. We saved that. <laughs> we are here for our juicing demo. And so, um, yeah, we have an awesome member of the Garden Cafe staff here to show us uh, what goes into the juice, what it's normally like. talk about in this session kind of beyond juice, um, but we'll start, we'll start with talking about juice. Um, what do we juice? Why do we juice? We heard this in the very first lecture, uh, which was actually not a lecture, but it was the documentary, and we learned the importance of juicing. You remember all those people saying, fast food, look at this, how incredible, we can get all of this in this one little glass. And that's the reason why we would juice, because, I mean, if you think about it, right, this isn't natural. Extracting the juice like this, we, we need a machine to do it. It's not something that occurs naturally, you understand? And so why would we ever want to do that? Well, a lot of the reason is because that whole basket of fruit and vegetable you guys are not really going to eat. That's two portions. They're only planning on making two glasses that basket of fruits and vegetables. They might not use it all, but you see that it's that much fruit and vegetable goes into this little glass. And so what we're doing through the process of juicing is we're taking away the vegetable fibrous matter and we're extracting the liquid. Within the liquid is all of the water of the plant and then any minerals or nutrients that are there. All right? So it's that straight water mineral nutrient shot that we get through the juice. Um. When I juice at home, I always blend up everything and drink everything. So I use a like a mm -hmm. blender rather than a juicer. Great. The reason I do that is from the research I did, there's still quite a lot of nutrients in the fibers that are actually quite useful. Okay, so let me finish. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's what juicing is. You understand? It's extracting the vegetable fibrous matter and only taking the mineral nutrient dense water, where most of the minerals and nutrients are. All right. Now the fiber, the fibrous matter, because a good juicer will actually only extract fiber. And there are two kinds of juicers. We can talk about that. One is a slow press juicer. And then one is like this. It's a more of an industrial, a faster juicer. And the faster juicer is using a motor inside. It goes, and it's really loud. When he turns it on, it'll be loud. Right? And what that's doing is literally ripping apart the fiber and the juice. It's less effective. And yes, some nutrients still remain. In a cold press juicer, it would take much, much, much longer to juice one glass. And the pulp, the fibrous matter that would come out would be much less and it would be drier because you've done a much more effective job. And so if you guys want to bring juicing into your life, and it's something that I would highly recommend for a healthy life, because if you can start your day with that much fresh plant matter, that's a shot of nutrients. That's better than any vitamin that you could ever want. Yeah? 
absolutely incredible. So um, when we look at juice and we think of juice versus smoothie, this is kind of what you're asking about, Stuart. Smoothie is something that's made in a blender and a blending machine is kind of a, a canister. It's a container where you have everything inside and then it's cut up. And in the end, you know, it's, it's liquidy, it's smoothie-like. And that's actually a smoothie because it does have fiber in it. It's different than the juice that you've been taking. So when on the very first morning when I defined fasting, we said that it was going a certain period of time, abstaining from solid fibrous matter. You see that? You're not having any solid fibrous matter. So that's why you're not doing a smoothie cleanse. If you had a smoothie today, you would actually restart your digestive tract with that fiber. And the wonder that we're getting from fasting with the digestive tract shut off is because we have no fiber passing through the system. You see that? It's just juice. So what happens when it's just juice? When we take it in, something should pass in and out of an empty stomach, and you'll hear much more about this tomorrow, within 15 minutes in and out of the stomach. That's why I told you guys try to keep things at least 15 minutes apart. And so in the organ of the stomach, within 15 minutes, you'll have absorbed all of the vitamins and minerals from the juice. So August is going to bring you some juice that they already just made. <laughs> and when you have this juice, that's a straight shot to your cells. That's August if you haven't met him yet. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, juicing's pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. And the reason why we would do this is because not many people, except for me, go around eating that much fruits and vegetables. So, does that make sense so far? Yeah. If we're not fasting, normal life, when would you have juice? No, I was going to tell you, which is better, juice or smoothie? Yeah, so there's no right or wrong, there's no better or not. Um, the thing is, you're going to, both of them will help you eat more fruits and vegetables. And pretty much the underlying advice that I'm going to give you for diet advice, because this is a fasting week, this isn't a nutrition week, this is a fasting week, this is coming back to health, this isn't necessarily talking about food. Over the next two days, we'll start to talk a little bit more about food. But most of this has been about the foundations. Right? Before you even have food, you have to have a healthy body. But in terms of which to do or which is better, I mean, both of them help you eat more fruits and vegetables. And again, that's what I'm going to leave you guys with. Eat more fruits and vegetables. And whatever you think more is, three times that. Yeah? Eat mostly fruits and vegetables. Okay? And we'll learn about this more and more over the next few days. But in general... Um, in the morning, you could have a juice because that's what's going to give you is so much green, as much green. This is why we're focusing on green. Remember chlorophyll, very similar to hemin, the color in human blood. It's blood building and blood cleansing, right? And so you're going to want to make a green juice in the morning, and that's like the most incredible blood cleanser that you could ever have. Wake up, good morning, hello, right? along with your water to flush. And then after that, later on in the morning, if you wanted to have a smoothie with like a bunch of fruit, that would be awesome. And so you can have both, best of both worlds. There is no one is better than the other. They're used for different reasons, different purposes. With a smoothie specifically, um, since you still have the fiber there, that's where you're going to want your fruit. You don't really want to juice fruit. 
And the reason for that is because when in fruit, when you extract the simple sugars from the fibrous cellular matrix that they're meant to be in, it's, it's very difficult for your body to understand. Because the sugars need the fiber to slow down their absorption. Does that make sense? And when you just have the juice, like, does anyone have, like, a, have a sweet sugar juice, sweet juice, or fruit juice? And they're like, whoa, that was a lot. Yeah? Even yesterday, or the day before yesterday, when we had the pineapple for the enzyme vermilion, it was only after I had cleansed your bloodstream for three days of green juice. Right? And then it was with a bunch of greens. You see that? And so, um, yeah. So one more thing I want to say about juicing is that it does destabilize everything. Because think about it. It's, a, it's an absolute mechanical process. We're taking all of the water, vitamins, minerals, the nutrients essentially, out of the plant. Right? And they have, again, no cellular matrix to be inside of. And so the fact is that green juice starts to greatly lose its nutrient content after 15 minutes. And that's why I tell you guys to just drink it, don't wait, just drink it. Don't save it, drink it, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. So in this week, of course, with so many logistics, it's hard to get you the juice right away. And then if you're still in Shavasana, we can't give you the juice. So we try our hardest. We do. But what, uh, what all those little cups are for is because now we're going to juice fresh stuff and you're going to taste the difference between fresh stuff and this stuff. And I know that there are cold-pressed juice bars popping up all over the world in big cities today. Uh, where they like sell a bottle of green juice for $10 or something like that. And they're like, yeah, it's good for three days. I really don't believe it. I really don't believe it. Those are made through the cold extraction process, which supposedly makes it more stable. But I haven't seen the scientific studies to prove it. And if you want juice, you want juice fresh. So there's no better way than really making it in your own house. And it can be a morning ritual. A lot of people drink coffee because it's a morning ritual. I get to wake up and do something for them and prepare something for them. Right? Your juice can be a morning ritual. Really exciting. Okay? So, fantastic. Now that you have your juice, we will do the demo. Yeah. So, with this, the reason we have this thing is because we have a super fast kitchen where we make like 50 juices an hour. So, we don't have one of the slow ones. I actually, I got one last month. But they said it takes five minutes to juice a glass. We can't do this. And so we're sorting it out. But in general, awesome. We have here celery leaf, cilantro. Uh, this is, this is also celery leaf. Okay, so just celery leaf um, and a little bit of celery. Parsley, which is a fantastic, as I told you this morning, blood cleanser. Cucumber. And then we have some uh, green apple. And so when you juice greens, you're always going to go for the greens first. And you put them in tips first. You put them in slowly, one at a time. This is fun. I've never gotten to do this in the juice summer. Wow, it really smells like celery. I mean, good thing I just washed my hands. All right. Then the spinach that we use here uh, is a local spinach variety. Same thing, you're gonna you're gonna want the tips down. Alright, so nothing's come out so far, huh? 
So in general, rules of juicing are putting in the green stuff first, and then from there, you put in the stuff that has more water, like cucumber or apple, and that's gonna wash out uh, all of the residue from the green. So I'll show you now. We started getting a little, little drips. I'll put in a cucumber. Ah, it smells really strong. It's finished.
so I'm going to finish with the greens and then I'm going to put the rest of the apple and cucumber in to wash it all through. And the biggest difference between the slow press, well not the biggest difference, but one of the mechanical differences between the slow press and the fast is that um, the slow has a very small opening and so you have to cut things up very small which takes more time. And the reason for that is it doesn't want you to jam pack things in like I'm doing. And a commercial juicer will have this big spout so that you can just do something like throw an apple in. And it just goes. And you throw in the whole thing with the seeds and everything. Tip the juicer to get out. Yeah. Ada yang glass kecil di sana? Ada. Okay. Sebelum mau bisa bawa semua, mungkin harus campur. Campur. It's the entire thing. Um, itu mungkin satu liter. I think it might be one liter. Lebih banyak. Yeah, it's it's more than one liter. It's probably a liter and a half. Wait, it's about to spill out. Sorry. I filled it up. Yay! That was your juicing demo. I'm really excited I got to do that. Yeah. So that entire basket, right? For this. Can I have a moment of glass, Yeah. Please. So now you guys are going to taste the difference between just press and that one that was probably 15 minutes old or so. Um, so now you see how juicing goes. As for how to juice, what to juice, that is 100% totally up to you. I encourage you to fully experiment. Okay, makasih Now, ini yang baru harus bawa sedikit sedikit untuk semua empat plus. Yeah. So, when you juice, I encourage you to take just full creativity, see what you have, go to the grocery store, first pick out your greens, right? This is a green juice that we're making. That's why we're juicing for the green. And so, you can juice pretty much any green. The darker the green it is, uh, usually the more phytonutrients it's going to have. You can also juice things like purple greens. Right? You can juice other things like carrots and beets. However, those are more like fruit because they're roots. You see that? It's a different, it's a different kind of plant. It's a tuber. And so when we have um, carrots and beets, it's a little sweeter. 
And so I wouldn't have given you beet on day one, two, or three. You see that? I had to cleanse the bloodstream first. It's similar to fruit in that respect. Um, because when normally you have a lot of things clogging your bloodstream, and you'll learn about this in the movie tonight, um, the different kinds of fats are clogging the bloodstream. And so when there's too much clog in the bloodstream, Sugars can't get through the bloodstream to the cell directly like they want to and need to. And so it takes about a period of three days to cleanse the bloodstream. The best way to do that is pure green juice and fasting for sure. And then after that, if you're taking something that's sweet, it won't affect you as much. It won't cause that rise in blood sugar. You see that? Because the sugar will go directly to the cell. It won't stay in the stream of the blood. So my juice. So you guys can taste my juice. <laughs> But um, I encourage you to throw in things like turmeric, ginger. Um, don't necessarily try garlic. I tried it once. I've never tried it again. <laughs> uh, it's a bit strong. But uh, things like watermelon rind. Awesome way to use an organic watermelon rind. Throw it in the juicer. Okay. Um, different kinds of cucumbers have different tastes. Things like green peas that you would never think about juicing. Start to get really creative with this. Something like one slice of pineapple can be okay if you have enough greens, like we did the other day. Um, any kind of green, green herbs, juicing things like mint, things that you'll find in your backyard. I encourage you guys to look up something called foraging. Have you heard of it? It's this new activity that's a very old activity where people are going outside and rewilding. They're deciding to look in their backyard and see the plants that are around and see perhaps if any of them are good to eat or medicinal, and often most of them are, right? We just let them go or we, th we pick them like they're weeds. So what if you could juice them? How amazing is that? And so, yeah, bawa Yeah, Agus will give you a little bit of the new juice. You taste it. I hope it's okay. Taste it first, see if everyone's going <laughs> to... Is it good? Mm, it tastes fresh. It tastes really fresh. The other one is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put all the apples in. <laughs> yeah. So if you are going to juice fruit, things like berries or green apples are the lowest in sugar. Like it? I'm good. Good chef. Compliments to the chef. More bitty almost than this one. Mm -hmm. It tastes smoother. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the thing about juicing is that it just doesn't end. It's, it's amazing uh, what you can create. There are lots of recipes online. Don't even follow a recipe. You might find something that you really like and, and get it down and like that every day. There are really no rules here. Um, Mostly juice your vegetables, eat your fruits, and, and see where that takes you. Chew your juice. Have it spend time in your mouth. I have one question. Because it's, um, my mom first started with like kind of that one, and then she bought a cold press one because it's like the better way. But would you say, because they're like so expensive, and um, would you then say I would rather wait and until I have enough money for a cold press one, or should I? Because I, I always just use a mixing blender stick. Mm -hmm. Hold on, I'm going to stop you because everyone... So they didn't filter this one again, so filter it with your teeth. Try not to get the fiber. 
You notice that there are little pieces in it? Mm. Filter it with your teeth, yeah? We should have double filtered it. Um, as for, <laughs> as for uh, the question of cold pressed, I mean, you can buy a secondhand juicer today for like $20, right? One that's a fast one. If it's that or nothing, choose that. Right? If you have like something like $200 to spend on a cold press, or even you could buy one secondhand for maybe $100, $150, something like that, then it would be worth it. Um, and the reason for that is mostly because of the output. Um, you're going to be much more efficient with your cold press. What you buy, what you spend on the vegetables, will go to the juice. Whereas something like this, the fast press, this pulp, kind of looks like what we put in. See that? So we didn't get all of it out of it. When I was juicing early on, many years ago, I would put the pulp back through the juicer again and try to get more juice out. And you guys can feel this if you want. It's wet. If this were a cold press juicer, uh, it would come out hard and dry in a block. And what are you doing with it? Are you cooking? With yeah, so what do you do with the pulp? Great question. There's never any questions when we start to talk about, when we start to talk about juicing. With the pulp, there's so many things you can do. You can make fish food, dog food, cat food. You can make compost, um, mulch. You can make uh, cookies, muffins. Yeah, anything that needs kind of a fibery base. Um, you can make pancakes. You do anything, really, anything. It's incredible. Um, compost, of course, would be the easiest, maybe. Um, but yeah, the fiber from the juice you definitely can reuse, and I encourage you to. Uh, a lot of people, they'll freeze it, and then they'll make vegetable cube stock with it. Um, endless, endless amount of things, and it's another way to inspire creativity. And when you get creative in the kitchen is when you start to invest in what you're putting in your body, and, and stuff gets good. So, all right, I have some things that I normally talk about here. Um, first, five colors of phytonutrients. So we have different uh, nutrients in the body and um, this is it's from some kind of survey that shows that we don't eat enough of certain color groups. Um, so we find anywhere from red, I mean it's almost like the chakras, Right? Our reds are going to be the lycopenes, different acids, and these are all of the red foods. Most of them are fruit, uh, but of course we have things like tomatoes. Then purple and blue, things you know, like resveratrol, flavonoids, I mean, but flavonoids are in everything. But these are all of the blue purpley foods. Uh, green foods, of course, have not only things like chlorophyll, but we have gluten, isoflavonoids, whatever, from there. And so um, the white's medicinal, so I would ignore that one. But then yellow and orange, obviously beta-carotene, alpha-carotene, alpha and then other phytonutrients as well. And of that, I think the only thing you would juice, you could even juice sweet potato, but pineapple, papaya, and then carrots. So you can take a look at this. And it shows you the percentage of people that don't get enough of certain ones. But uh, it's showing you that color is important. Of course, we know that we're always basing it, however, in green. Um, other things that I normally talk about in this lecture, 
is the fact, unfortunately, that it's not only about fruits and vegetables. Right? My job is hard enough because I have to teach you or encourage you to eat more fruits and vegetables, but it doesn't stop there because not all fruits and vegetables are the same. From there, we have different varieties of fruits and vegetables, especially in the modern commercial agriculture world of today. And so there's a, a main split. I like to split things into four categories. And the main split is between organic and non-organic. And I'm sure that you're familiar with this by now. Um, all through, like, since the 60s, there's been this, this awakening about what we eat. Unfortunately, in the 70s, there was something called the Green Revolution, which sounds really good, but was not really good. Are you familiar with the Green Revolution? It was a sweeping of petrochemical companies all across the world, mostly to third world countries like Indonesia, where we are right now, where the petrochemical companies said, you know what, here, I'm going to increase your yield, how much you get, farmer, right, by giving you pesticides, right, as well as fertilizers, all of this chemical input that you have to put in your land. Later on, that came to you also have to buy seeds, which is totally inherently unnatural to any farming practice, an integral part of farming is seed saving, where they save the seeds from generations and generations and generations before and can always replant, right? And so this other part of it was something called genetic modification. Have you heard of GMOs and genetic modification? So this was the maturation of the Green Revolution, but essentially all throughout the late 60s and 70s, there was this sweeping of petrochemical companies, right? Starting to create input, saying that you get higher yield, right? Farms went from this size to this size etc, etc, etc. And so that's, of course, the non-organic. We can call that conventional, even though it's not very normal. What's normal, of course, is for things to grow organically without unnatural inputs like that. But that, unfortunately, throughout the 70s, 80s, and really the 90s, is what became normal. In the 90s, people started waking up a little bit because through the 70s and 80s, we started having more processed foods, especially the hit solid in the 90s. And so in response to the processed food movement, we, we came up with this word natural. You remember that? All throughout the 90s, things were natural. They were labeled natural. And that was with some meaning. Of course, it lost meaning once it gained popularity and people just labeled it right and left, natural. What does natural actually even mean? Right? Then in the 2000s, we found organic. We said, you know what? No more petrochemical. We're going to go organic. But now, we're past the 2000s, we're in the teens, right? And now there's something called beyond organic, right? There's a movement called permaculture. Anyone heard of permaculture? Yeah? And this is really the future. This is the answer, okay? So that's the gradient. I'll go through here one more time. Um, the kind of worst case scenario, because the thing is, if you're going to the grocery store and you're buying fruits and vegetables, right, you think that's already better than buying hot dogs and hamburgers, right? For sure it is. But the thing is that not all fruits and vegetables are the same. Celery that's been genetically modified and grown with petrochemicals is very different than celery that's been grown on an organic farm with compost, right, and lots of love throughout its life, right, and spring water and no chemical additives. It's not only that the chemicals are there, because trust me, celery is mostly water, as we saw, right, the chemicals don't go anywhere. When they're sprayed on the plant, they don't go anywhere. There's trace residue of those chemicals. It's found today in things like breast milk right? and all over the human body. 
And so for sure we're not going to want to eat non-organic things because we're taking the chemicals on. But it doesn't stop there. This other celery that's been grown organically in really healthy, microbially rich soil is actually more nutritious. The phytonutrient count is higher, right? And the amount of vitamins and minerals that you're going to be able to access from it is way more. And I mean, that alone, yeah, for sure, the organic one's more expensive. People can't afford it. It's a different food. These two things aren't the same food. And that's something really big for people to start to realize. So when we, when we look at this, again, the four gradients are genetically modified. That's pretty much the worst because not only is it made with petrochemicals, but it's often a seed that's been made in a laboratory. And I'll give you an example of genetic modification. My favorite one comes from when I was uh, hitchhiking across the south of England. And a great old trucker picked me up and he told me stories about what goes in the back of his truck. And one of the stories he told me was about tomatoes, right? Tomatoes. And he had them in the back of the truck. And of course, he's driving from, let's say, Italy to Sweden. That's a long trip. And what is he doing? He's driving on bumpy old European roads. Boom, 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 boom. Well, that can of tomatoes, or that box of tomatoes is soon going to become tomato sauce. Boom, 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 as he drives. So as we have transport of fruits and vegetables over the world, it no longer became sustainable to have them grow naturally, right? Because naturally, tomato skin is thin and tender and they're ripe and soft and juicy. And so the scientists came in and said, you know what, we can help, we can help. We're going to find a way to make the tomato skins grow thicker so that you, Mr. Truck Driver, can get from Italy to Sweden without breaking one tomato. How about that? And they said, yeah, good idea. All right, so what can we do? Here we are in the laboratory. I'm going to take the tomato seed and look at all of its genetics. And then I'm going to look at something with really dense, thick skin. How about fish? I'm going to take DNA from fish scales and splice it into this seed of the tomato. So that when I plant the tomato, the tomato grows. It looks normal, right? But guess what? There's genes from fish scales inside of the tomato so that the skin is nice and thick. And there you go, Mr. Truck Driver. Congratulations, you can drive from Italy to Sweden without making ketchup. You see that? So then, God forbid, Jody comes into the grocery store. Jody is deathly allergic to fish. She has no problem with tomatoes. She eats them all the time. There she goes. She's in Sweden and she's buying those tomatoes that were brought in from Italy, right? GMO, grown with fish scale. And she eats a tomato. Nothing on it is labeled fish. Maybe she has an anaphylactic reaction. Right? And not Jody, but maybe someone else dies from eating a tomato. Because they're definitely allergic to fish. You see that? So this is, this is just the beginning of the problems that we're starting to find with gene- genetic modification. And, and, and this is the, the very, very, yeah, very beginning of it. There is no evidence of what toying with genetics of plants and then eating the plants and assuming they're normal. There's no evidence of what that does. Right? The only evidence is negative, we'll say. And so this is the stuff that we'll find out over the next 50 years. But for now, what we can know is that for the past several million of years, right, this whole organic method has worked pretty well. Right? So why toy with the toys of science? 
right, into something that's working pretty well because uh, in the past two years, finally, reports are coming out that are finally saying organic agriculture has same yield, if not higher, than genetically modified crops. And all throughout the 2000s, this made waves because it was saying, you know, GMOs are the way to go. This is how we're going to feed the world. It has such high crop uh, ratios. And, and what are farmers doing? Committing suicide because guess what? It's not working out. And because they have to buy their seeds, instead of using the seeds that their grandparents gave them, they're in debt. Right? And farming isn't a very lucrative business anyway. You know, you aspire to be a lawyer or a doctor. Your parents don't pat you on the back and say, grow up to be a farmer. So there we go, all right? These four gradients, the worst case scenario, genetically modified. Depending upon what country you're in, it might be most of the stuff in the grocery store. Unfortunately, in countries like the United States, it is not labeled. Genetically modified foods are not labeled. Some places in Europe, thankfully, they are. Um, I have a little GM sheet here. You can read it. But of all in the world, let's take something like corn. Very, very common crop. 85% of corn is genetically modified. In the world. So if you've had popcorn, you've probably eaten GMO. Right? Soybeans. Here's a big one. 91% of all soy is genetically modified, mostly coming from the United States and China. Right? And Indonesia even imports from the U.S. and China. This is, this is pretty disastrous. Cotton, here's a good one. You don't eat it, but you do indeed wear it. 88% of all cotton is genetically modified. Not only is it genetically modified, but cotton itself, which is this is what most of your clothes are, right? Cotton is one of the most land-hogging crops that you can imagine. It takes so much space for what it gives, and it absolutely depletes the soil, just ravages the soil. And yet, somehow, this is what we've chosen to make all of our clothes out of. I don't understand it. I really haven't bought new clothes in about eight years now. Right? And I will not buy new cotton, for sure. I, the only things I buy new are hemp, bamboo, and now those plastic recycled pants. <laughs> but like, this, is a, this is a choice that we're making as a global society. And so we really have to start to understand what's, what's going on. From there, sugar beets. Uh, these might not seem like things that you normally eat. I know we had beetroot juice this morning. That was organic, don't worry. But um, sugar beet is, is beet sugar. Often in any kind of processed food that you're eating, it's sweetened with beet sugar. 95% of sugar beets are genetically modified. Yeah. And so way more than this. Um, you guys can, can read through this. I mean, environmental concerns, I didn't even talk about that. Right? All these other things that come, this lecture could go on for hours. But just to start to give you an idea of, of what's going on in the grocery store. All right, so that's GMO. The other one is conventional, where it's not been a genetically modified seed. Maybe they got to use their grandfather's seed, but then they sprayed a bunch of chemicals on it. So that's not desirable either. We get to the organic half of the sphere. Our third category is something that's labeled organic. Unfortunately, in countries like the United States, they can still spray pesticides on it and call it organic. It has to be like 80% organic or something like that to be called organic. And unfortunately, something can be also organic but not be grown in healthy soil. And so even though it's organic, that means it doesn't have pesticides. Good, we're already at level three. Still, though, it's not going to be as phytonutrient-dense as level four. 
Is there something you wanted to say about that? No, no, I was just listening. Uh, There's a lawsuit in the states right now for porn These are neurotoxins. Pesticides that are sprayed on plants are not like your common household. These are things that literally kill your cells. I mean, I, I don't know how we separate what we eat from, from our body, but they often come together. Yeah? So how we, that's a great question. Well, let's look at level four, and then we'll, we'll talk. All right? Level four, then is something that's often local because, mind you, from the moment the plant is clipped from the earth or pulled from the earth, all of the nutrient density starts to drop. As that plant oxygenates, right, as it's no longer connected to its mother, it starts to lose its nutrition. So things that have been sitting on grocery store shelves for three weeks, not so nutritious. You see that? And so when we take the plant out, by all means, um, we're disconnecting it from, from the mother, the earth, the soil. The soil itself is what gives to the plant. The top nine inches of topsoil are where we have the most microbial activity. Right? This is nitrogen fixing. These are all of the different nutrients that the plant needs come from that topsoil. If there's too hot of sun, right, or the soil itself is unhealthy, or it's been bleached, or any other problem, if it's been uh, exposed to fungus, anything like that, then those nutrients are not going to get to the plant. And the plant will still grow. It's just like a human, you know? The human still grows even if it's not nourished. And have you seen the difference between a vibrant, healthy human and someone who looks like they're kind of dead inside? Right? Same thing with the plant. The form is still there, but what's inside will be different. And so what you want from level four, again, is local, right? Local for sure, organic for sure. Thank goodness. Now for the good news. Farmers markets are going wild all over the world today, growing wild, I should say. And um, thankfully, we can buy fresh produce from farmers. There's a great American-started uh, idea or kind of community organization called CSA, Community Share Agriculture. Have you heard of it? I want you to write it down and look it up. See if they have it where you are. They probably do. What CSA is, is meaning it, that you are buying a part of the farm for that growing season. All right? So what it looks like in practice is you pay a subscription, maybe $100, $200, $300, $400 for however long, three, six months, whatever, and every week, they deliver you a box chock full of fruit and vegetables. Maybe they'll put other things in it too, whatever you want from the farms. And they deliver it to you. And you don't necessarily get to choose what's in it. You can have preferences. But what you've gotten are what's alive and ripe on the farm. Because the thing is, before I got into all this health stuff, I used to be a political economist. And so I can tell you guys, the thing is that capitalism does not suit the job of farming. Because if you think about it, capitalism, you know, M1, C, M2, you have input, right? And then that input makes more, and your output is more than your input. And so because the output is more, then you have some extra and you can put input in again. And this process goes and goes and goes and goes. Well, the thing is with farming, you only have this. 
the square of land. It's not something that exponentially can grow like capitalism requires. That's only part of it. The other part of it is that you have the world of natural disaster. And so if there's a drought, or if there's some pest, or if there's a hurricane, or if there's something else, your entire farm could be ravished. Do you see that? And capitalism has no control for that. It just says you lose. And so what's end up happening? Farmers lose. No one is aspiring to be a farmer today. Yeah? And it's gone so far in industrial farming that you have in the United States 3,000 acres of land managed by one person. Because with machinery, we can do a lot. Yeah? So just like the scale of these things has gotten so out of hand. And part of us healing ourselves definitely is parallel to us healing the earth, healing with the earth. Yeah? As we detoxify ourselves, we have to detoxify the earth. And guess what? You guys are going to eat in your future life. And every time you buy food or fruits or vegetables, you are voting with your money. And so the question is, what are you going to vote for? Does that make sense? In farmer's markets today, usually things are even more cost-effective than going to the grocery store because you've just cut out all of the middlemen, especially with something like CSA. And especially in CSA, they're going to deliver you vegetables that you've never even heard of. And you're going to have to go and look what you can do with them and learn. We're back to the learning and the inspiration. You see that? So best case scenario, farmer's market, local, definitely organic. When you go to the farmer's market, hi, Mr. Farmer, my name's Stuart. Can you tell me about your growing practices? They'll either say one of a few things. Either, uh, that means they're not the farmer, and you say, can I speak with the farmer? Maybe it's a middleman still who's been selling for the farmer, and then you say, well, give me the address for the farm. I want to go. Yeah? How cool is that? Make a field trip with your friends or your family. All right? If he is the farmer, then he'll tell you about his growing practices, and he said, he'll maybe say, we're a low spray or a no spray, which means that they're kind of organic, maybe organic, and then you say, well, what are you spraying? If he's spraying like neem oil or tea tree oil, then it's okay. Right? That's a natural pesticide. You see that as another plant that they're spraying on it. It's not a chemical. Uh, synthetic chemical. And then what you want to ask him is, do you compost? Those are your three magic words. Do you compost? Because if he says yes, then that means that you've hit the nutritional bank of that plant group. You see that? Because that plant that you're about to buy from him, exchange from him for your hard-earned money and time, right? That that plant itself is going to be more dense in phytonutrients, right? So way more, way more to talk about, way more to learn. That's a very basic kind of um, scale. The European model where you're going grocery shopping for your things that night, rather than the American model where you're going grocery shopping for your things that week, right, is a lot more effective because you're getting fresh food, right, that you're going to use then. And you want the most out of your food, and so you get it freshest. So, like me, every city I live in or go to, I know every day of the week where the farmer's market is. Yeah? Super, super, super cool stuff. Okay, wow. Oh, no, I'm way over time. I thought I was good on time. <laughs> nope. Okay. Any last amazing questions? I mean, we could talk about this forever. Yeah. Uh, it's not so much a question. It's just um, something to add. Um, you were making me think about the, the farmer's market. Um, an additional bonus is... For sure. 
for sure. The carbon footprint's a lot lower. And so um, a fact that I've been using for years, to ship a kiwi, you know a kiwi, kiwi fruit, from New Zealand to Europe results in a carbon emission five times the weight of that kiwi. We're talking about carbon. We're talking about a gas five times the weight of the kiwi. Yeah. They did um, there's an article recently where they, they picked a vegan organic deli in New York and over 80% of their produce was flown more than 5,000 miles to get to the store. It depends on the season. If you look at their, um, like their summertime, it might be a lot more amazing. And so, um, yeah. I mean, all of it's a very complicated matter. But the fresher you eat, the localer you eat, and the more fruits and vegetables you eat, I promise, the more shining you will be. Okay. So um, the last thing that I'll say is that there is a list because, first of all, some things you literally cannot buy organic. Like on the island of Bali, there is no organic watermelon. It simply does not exist. I smuggled in some seeds last year, but then my Pembantu threw them away, or maybe Levi threw them away. So I'm going to have to smuggle in some more organic seeds. Um, but... In the situations where you don't have a choice between organic or not organic, there's this really awesome list that's made um, in different countries, different lists make it, but it's a concept from North America created by the Environmental Working Group, which works with the US Department of Agriculture. And it's a list called the Dirty Dozen. And these are the 12 most chemically pesticide-laden fruits and vegetables. That means that they are non-organic, and all of the non-organic fruits and vegetables have been tested to see how much pesticide residue they still have after they've been washed, after they've been taken away from the farm, all of that. And so number one on here is celery. Number two is peaches. <coughs> and I think this is from 2013. Every year it changes. But your top ones are always anything super water-containing. Celery, cucumbers, right? Anything like leafy greens, always on here. Apples are almost always on here. Right? Your thin-skinned berries, things like strawberries are always on here. And my, my, my father, yeah, strawberries are number three here. My father somehow heard that um, organic strawberries, uh, I mean that non-organic strawberries are really bad for you. And so this is like his one thing. He's like, oh, I would never buy conventional strawberries. I only buy organic strawberries. Where he doesn't care about like anything else. He just has his little strawberries. Right? But that's a start. That's a start because you're starting to differentiate between these four categories. So you can look through these. On the other side is a list called the Clean 15. And these, are the, these were the low end of the pesticide residue list. These are things that are not so affected. They don't have such a, a heavy pesticide load. Um, and they're often things that are grown underground or things like pineapples with really thick skin, thick rind. Um, different kinds of melons are on here, sweet potato. And so you can, grapefruit has a really thick skin. You can look through this, but again, even though these things don't have such a high pesticide residue, they're not going to be as nutritional as those things that are organic, yeah? And grown in compost. Okay. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media.
Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now. Now. 